If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We began last week a study on paradoxes within Scripture. A paradox is simply something that's going to run counterintuitive to our thinking. It is a scriptural truth that at first reading won't seem to make natural sense. But we must trust in the truth of Scripture and believe that we have to live according to the principle that is communicated. And this morning is an especially challenging paradox. I don't know how many of you would be in an industry where you were doing sales. But I do know that the Guinness Book of Records named Joe Girard, the world's greatest salesman, an astounding 12 times. 12 times the world's greatest salesman. He sold 13,001, and that's a very important one, 13,001 new cars and trucks at a dealership in Michigan between 1963 and 1977. That is an average of more than two and a half cars every single day. And he's careful to say it was one new car or truck at a time at retail price, no fleet deals. 13,001. He said, I sold them face to face, belly to belly. He also wrote a book called How to Sell Anything to Anybody. And people bought it because Joe was selling it. In his book that he wrote, he was saying that you can basically sell anything to anybody. And as I prepared for this message, I thought, I don't know, Joe, this paradox is a tough sell. It made me look up the worst products that ever came to market that even Joe couldn't sell. As I studied it out, I came across these three products that really stood out to me. Smith & Wesson Bicycles. The public just could not put together a gun manufacturer selling bikes, and they did not sell. Pepsi Blue. How many of you remember Pepsi Blue? Pepsi Blue was intended to compete with vanilla Coke. What Pepsi overlooked was the blue coloring was actually illegal in many countries, and beyond that, nobody liked how it tastes, and blue Pepsi's weird. Nobody bought it. However, this product blew my mind. Colgate, and I pause so that you can think of minty toothpaste, Colgate's frozen dinners, right? If ever there was a dumb idea, Colgate frozen dinners. When I'm microwaving lasagna, I want to think of minty toothpaste, It was so bad that actually Colgate's toothpaste sales nosedived while they were selling frozen dinners. And I get it. If you're so dumb as a corporation to sell me that, I'm not even buying your toothpaste. Those are tough products to sell. And I'm going to introduce you to something that even Joe Girard would have trouble pitching this morning. It's a tough sell. The Holy Spirit's going to communicate it in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. The Apostle Paul is getting introspective and he's communicating something to us. This is personal information. He says in verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, 
the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And therein lies the great paradox of those verses. There's the tough sell to glory in infirmities. If I were to paraphrase it, it would be this. Be happy about the thorns in life. About the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the difficulties, the abuse, the opposition, the bad breaks. Revel in weakness because therein lies true strength. There is strength in weakness. That's a tough sell. That's counterintuitive. Our natural mind wants to reject that. Doesn't mark it well. One wrote this, one of the reasons biblical Christianity has to be so drastically distorted in order to sell it to mass markets is that the market wants power to escape weakness in leisure. But Christianity offers power to endure weakness in love. To endure weakness in love. To patiently with joy, survive hard situations. That's the deepest need that we have. Why do we suffer? All of us understand hardship. No one here is immune to suffering. In fact, it's Grandparents' Day. We can be honest about age. Sometimes we suffer simply because we're human beings. The fact is, our bodies change as we grow older, and things creak and groan, and things hurt, and they break. It's the normal problems of life that we're all susceptible to. If we're honest, sometimes we suffer because we're foolish, and we sin, and we're disobedient to the Lord, and we reap the consequences of our foolish action. Or the Lord has to step in and He chastens us in His love and we endure hardship. And here in this passage this morning, it is clear that suffering is also a tool that God will use to build godly character, to refine our spirituality into our lives. Paul is dealing with this thorn in the flesh to keep him from capitulating to the terrible sin of pride, or as he puts it, to being exalted above measure. Now that demands that we answer the question. Why is it that the Apostle Paul lived in precarious danger of being exalted above measure, of being given to pride, and all of the sins that are a result of it? If we back up to the first few verses of chapter 12, he tells us something, and it is amazing news. Here's what he says in verse 1. It's not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now here he goes. He's going to tell us something intensely personal. 
I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, let me reiterate, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities." Rather than be exalted above measure, God has given me a thorn. And I live in precarious danger of being exalted above measure because of the incredible spiritual experience that I had. That's what Paul is telling us. He's talking about himself and he says, above 14 years ago, whether I was physically raptured up like Enoch, and I was there in paradise, and I took heaven in, or whether it was merely a vision that I was gifted, I know that I saw paradise, and I heard unspeakable things that is not lawful for me to utter down here. He had a vision of heaven. He was there, he saw it, and he heard it. And you are saying to yourself, Pastor, I have a coworker who had the same thing happen to them. No, it didn't. This is for Paul. And Paul is saying, it's not even lawful for me to tell you the thing. There's no way for me to articulate. It was unspeakable. And I live in precarious danger of being controlled by pride because of the revelations that I have seen. He would have been completely justified in boasting about his amazing experience. He lived in danger of being exalted above measure. Therefore, he was given a thorn in his flesh. He's literally telling us, I'm glad that I have hardship. I am thankful that I am currently enduring weakness. It's stunning what he's teaching us. The fact is, there are individuals here this morning weighed down under it. Traveling through the valley, there's a lot of ways we'll say those things. The fact is, we have to scripturally understand what is it that God is doing. And sometimes God uses sharp thorns to aid us. The word translated thorn is interesting. Now, just pause for a second and grasp this reality. God chose to reveal himself to us in the form of written word, certainly indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So these words are very vivid. We have to grasp and understand what's being communicated. When he says, I have been given a thorn in the flesh, that word literally means a sharp stake used for torturing or impaling someone. This is a big deal. A sharp stake used for torturing or impaling someone. This is not you getting a thorn off your rose bush. And and listen, that really hurts. And I hate them. That's not what this is. I think this will help us to begin to speak biblically when we really understand what it is the Apostle Paul is communicating. Sometimes we'll say things like, my mother-in-law is my thorn in the flesh. Is she a torture device to impale you? 
Sometimes we'll say things like, my workplace is my cross to bear. Honestly, that's flippant speech, for the cross signifies death. I'll say it to you this way long before we get into this study. Some of the things that we say are our cross to bear or our thorn to endure, what we actually need in love is to just suck it up and be a little tougher. It's not actually a thorn, and it's not really a cross. We just have to be a big boy or a big girl and get through it. But the fact is, Paul was dealing with a sharp thorn. This demands the question, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? I need to know. Smart guys, a lot of really smart guys, smart guys much smarter than me guys, have tried to tell us what this is. One guy, even trying to sound smart, said this. There are a gallimaufry of guesses which saturate the pages of theological literature. Which is really dumb. Because he's just saying, I don't know. I don't even know if gallimaufry is a word. <laughs> he wrote it. The speculations run wild. Dig through a series of commentaries and listen to scholars. You'll read anything from earaches to headaches to malaria, hysteria, hypochondria, gallstones, gout, rheumatism, sciatica, gastritis, leprosy, deafness, dental disease, or something else. And listen, it's grandparents' day, so a lot of that's applicable. <laughs> really, what we're saying is shoulder shrug. I don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. He doesn't articulate it. The Holy Spirit doesn't lead him to tell us what it is. We do know it's debilitating. More than likely, it was also humiliating. I agree with many scholars who say this. Really, the anonymity of his thorn in the flesh is a good thing for it allows us to apply it on a broad spectrum. You know what else he told us in there? He was fully aware that this thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan to buffet him. He was not living in ignorance as to the source of this challenge. And we might scratch our heads, but get this, God allowed Satan to buffet Job in the Old Testament. And here Paul is telling us that God has authorized this thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan, to injure, to limit his ministry. He is constantly ministering through challenges and hardships. Again, one scholar said, just as God was the one who was responsible for the ecstasy of Paul's rapture to the third heaven, he was also responsible for the agony of his thorn. And yes, God can do both. God permitted Satan to buffet Paul. Now, many of you have been reading your Bible for years and you've always read that word buffet. And you're thinking to yourself, honestly, pastor, I want Satan to torment me with a buffet. Others of you are saying, actually, pastor, Satan's messenger to me is the buffet. I struggle with it. It dominates me. But the word is buffet. That's the corniest pastoral humor I'll give you all day. Buffet is a word. Again, it is intentional. It means to beat or to strike with the fist. Paul is saying, I have a torture device meant to impale me in my life. And I am punched in the face by it 
repeatedly. The very tense of the verb means this was a constant or at minimum a recurring situation. And when you think of all the scripture that the Apostle Paul had to write, all of the churches that he had to start, all of the trips that he had to take, all of the churches that he had to go back and visit, all of the dangers that he faced, you might be prone to think how unfair that the Apostle Paul of all people would deal with this thorn in the flesh. And that's why he asked three times for God to remove this thorn in the flesh. And stunningly, God said no. He'll do that. It's not comfortable for us to confront. We don't like to think about it, but at times, God says no. You say, now pastor, how does that jive with scripture that says pray without ceasing and we're to be like the importunate woman that goes back and asks again and again and again and again. What I believe is clearly spoken to us is this. God said no. Paul knew that God said no. In effect, God said stop asking, and Paul bent his will to the will of God. And there are times where God makes it clear the answer is no, and we must submit to him. If you want a little light on it, think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Praying in great agony and saying, Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. Sometimes God does say no to the removing of hardship or a thorn or suffering. And we can be dominated by bitterness and resentment. Or we can submit with humility and accept his answer. Here's what God and Paul knew. Being buffeted. By this messenger from Satan was better than being ruined by pride. That's a tough sell. That's hard to come to grips with. Being buffeted by this sharp thorn, this messenger from Satan, is actually the better outcome because the alternative would be to be ruined by pride. Another said, God brought the elated Paul down to earth and pinned him there with a thorn. That's why it's impossible, by the way, to say if somebody has some hardship in their life that it's because of sin. You don't know that. They could be dealing with this thorn in the flesh. When Paul wants to expand on what that looks like for us in the real world, he gives us five words to articulate it out. He says, this is also infirmities. Infirmities are physical weakness, feebleness, disease, sickness. We think of the infirm. You recognize that can be a thorn in the flesh. That can be something that you ask God to remove and God says no. It can be reproaches. Reproaches are insults. To be injured by words can be necessities. This can refer to any situation where you feel trapped. You didn't plan it, you didn't think it would be this way, but there you are, and it's hard. Persecutions, wounds or abuses, painful circumstances. Acts of prejudice or exploitation from people because of your Christian faith. It's when you're not treated fairly. It's when you or I get a raw deal, there's distresses. It's the idea of 
pressure or crushing or being weighed down. There are circumstances that tend to overcome us with stress or tension or anxiety. And Paul is telling us plainly to take pleasure in this. To glory in this. In infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. Take pleasure in that. That is a tough sell even for Joe. It's a paradox that we have to understand. Sometimes it's God's plan and there's no end in sight. Paul's spirit is amazing. He doesn't blame circumstances. He doesn't blame the attackers. He simply went to God. Don't misunderstand this as Paul enjoyed enduring the thorns. Understand he did ask for them to be removed, but we grasp that he changed his heart towards the thorn. He changed his attitude towards its presence. It's clear that God will do this at times to keep us grounded. Which is an utterly strange thing to say in our self-saturated world that God deems humility more important than your comfort. That God deems humility a higher prize than our peace with lack of hardship. We don't like to think of God as deeming humility, this spiritual trait, as greater than our comfort. Our comfort greatly dominates our prayer lives. It's hard for us to settle on the fact that sometimes God says no, and a recurring or constant situation can actually be His will and plan for us. That's why God offers something to us in light of our sharp thorns. He gives us sufficient grace and perfect strength. God did answer Paul's prayer. And his answer to Paul's prayer was grace. Grace. His answer to Paul's prayer was that he would be strong for him. I cannot help but think of Joseph, who we've been studying through on Wednesday nights, who is praying, begging to get out of the pit that his brothers cast him in. And when he is brought out of the pit, he's actually sold to the Ishmaelites. Your prayer was answered, you're out of the pit, but now you're sold into slavery. You've answered a prayer in a way I did not want. And when God looks at Paul and tells him, I will answer your prayer and my answer to your prayer is more grace, I think I would have struggled with that. One author said he gave relief, not by removal of the problem. He gave relief by the sufficient strength to persevere through the humbling process. What God wants out of you is more intimate fellowship. What God wants out of you is greater humility. And God will let you stay in the suffering and turn up the grace to whatever level He needs to to put you through that crucible of suffering to achieve that intimacy and to achieve that humility. It is grace on display. We think of grace being displayed when God answers the prayer and relieves the problem. The fact is, grace is on display when we endure with love the suffering. He responds with sufficient grace. He responds with perfect strength. No one is too weak to be strong. But unfortunately, there are far too many that are too strong to be used. 
All through scripture we see no one is actually too weak to be strong. Abraham was good as dead. He could not have a son and God said, I will make you the father of many nations. Moses said, I'm not a good speaker and God said, I'm going to make you the mouthpiece for me to Pharaoh. Gideon was saying, I don't have enough men in order to win this battle. And God said, actually, you need less. You need to be weaker in order to win this battle. David, you're the smallest. And David, you're the youngest. And you don't need to go with armor, but just small weaponry. You're the one I'm going to use to take down the giant. There's no one that's too weak to be strong, but there are far too many that are too strong to ever be used. This was a pattern that we see with the Old Testament kings of the nation of Israel. I just want to point out two examples because the language articulates it so plainly. Speaking of King Rehoboam in 2 Chronicles 12, we read this, and it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. It's clearly articulated. He had reached a place in life where he deemed himself strong, and when he was strong, he forsook the Lord. Speaking of Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26, he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name was spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God. Do you see the pattern? He was marvelously helped until he deemed himself strong. And when he deemed himself strong, he veered off. No one is too weak to be strong, but far too many are too strong to be used. This was the warning that God gave to his people in Deuteronomy 6. He warned them on their way in, It shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not. Houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord. When you begin to ascend, you best understand you live on the precipice, the dangerous precipice of being exalted above measure, and God deems humility a higher prize than your comfort. That was his purpose. His purpose in our weakness is to glorify the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. That's where Paul, as he's driving to the finish line, makes it clear in verse 9. As God answered his prayer, he said, God said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then am I strong. God's design is to make you and I a showcase for Jesus Christ. In us dwelleth no good thing. If we have 
a spiritual gift, it is because God gave us that charis at salvation and in the Holy Spirit, we use that gift for Him. We cannot serve in the flesh and have any eternal fruit from it. It is only God and all God. The deepest need that you and I have in weakness and adversity is not quick relief. But rather the well-grounded confidence that what is happening to us is part of God's great plan in the universe. That I would be a showcase for Jesus Christ. And that's hard to grasp. I love how one pinned it. Life is not as it appears to be. We are led by today's culture to imagine that God pitches His tent with the famous and the powerful. Those who can speak of miraculous power and who command large crowds. But it is not so. Christ pitches His tent with the weak and the unknown. With the suffering shut-in and the anonymous pastor and missionary, the godly, quiet servants in the home and in the marketplace, with you and me, who are humble, with you and me who are quiet, with you and me who nobody knows, no one is too weak to be strong, because it's all for Christ's sake. When they see you, they should see Jesus. Even in your hardship, they should see Jesus. I'll steal from one who said there's four attitudes we have to develop towards our thorns. Number one is, think humbly of your spirituality. Think humbly of your spiritual gifts. Think humbly of your opportunities. Think humbly of your accomplishments. Don't deem yourself as having arrived. Don't deem yourself as high and mighty. Think humbly of all of that. Receive thankfully, not bitterly, the gift of discouragement. Man, that's hard. Receive thankfully, not bitterly, the gift of discouragement. The gift of discouragement is paradoxical in itself. Accept believingly, not doubtingly, that God has a plan amid His severe mercy towards you. Severe mercy is paradoxical. And then lastly, we ought to walk expectantly and not fearfully through the valley. If we could just develop that attitude... Towards situations in our lives, it is perspective altering, it is life changing. I don't know if the 12 time world's greatest salesman could actually sell that when I am weak, then I am strong is a way to live life, but scripture communicates it and the Holy Spirit sends it home. God does not need our perceived strength. God does not need what we bring to the table. What He wants, rather, is our weaknesses, our sufferings, our inadequacies, our disabilities, our failures, our fears. Even more, He wants us to glory in our infirmities, to take pleasure in them, to rather than be defeated by them, be strengthened by their presence, to rest in His sovereign plan, to actually be happy in the midst of discouraging assaults. That's what makes us different. We're salt and we're light. In the midst of corruption and darkness, we should stand out. And the way we stand out is strength in weakness, Christ in us. Would you please bow your heads just for a moment?
Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.